0: There's some think that there is no such thing as revival, that and they would be kind of a Pentecost once and for all. That was this visitation of God in a special way like that, but it's never, never repeated again. And now I agree that Pentecost is not to be repeated, uh, but but that doesn't mean that God doesn't provide these special seasons of of mercy in which He really brings renewal in the church and like the Protestant Reformation, like we've been. Uh, considering and so that's but that is one view that's out there another uh, popular view would be more of a fanaticism kind of approach to revival Uh, rather than saying pentecost is was a one-time event never to be repeated this would be more of it's to be repeated often uh, all the time and continuously so you get pentecostalism uh, coming out coming out of that and and so this has certainly been a part of of church histories, but it's this kind of endless pursuit of this continuous state of supernatural activity, and it has different expressions than it has throughout history. Um, and so, so that's, that's one way of looking at it. Um, then there's that revivalism, which is probably more what kind of my experience has been, was I think probably the roots of my early experience with what revivals kind of goes back to. And this would be uh, Charles Finney, he's the father of uh, modern revivalism has been called that. His name's synonymous. We talk about the first and second great awakening. His would be the second great awakening. First would, in America would be Jonathan Edwards, his name at least associated with it. And So Charles Finney. And so he had a, a, a huge impact in the early uh, 19th century. And I mean hundreds of thousands would yeah, became converts in New England during that time. And, uh, again, we'll... As we talk about some of the challenges, problems with Finney, we may question the legitimacy of some of those conversions, but certainly made an impact in in New England. Uh, Now, again, there were problems, and he did not believe in depravity of man, and so he thought man was basically good, and as we'll see, kind of the way this showed up, it's like... Man is at least neutral and kind of generally good. So if we can, we can kind of create a formula to, to tap into the heart of man and we can, we can, can move, motivate and move man to, to change and to come, to come to Christ. And so, again, that kind of flowed out of his view of, of the nature of man. He also didn't think we needed uh, the imputed righteousness and justification, that external righteousness that Christ provides imputed to us, uh, uh, and so, so that's, that's a, a big fact. let me just read a quote from him he said that, that this doctrine of imputed righteousness it was founded on a most false and nonsensical assumption that his Jesus' obedience might be made a substitute for our obedience that it might be set down to our credit and so again that has a big effect on his preaching and his ministry and then third he didn't believe in eternal security um, the, he said the sinning Christian and the unconverted sinner are upon precisely the same ground. And so we're talking about John 15 this morning. The first view of, of the unfruitful branches that I said was unacceptable. This was his view. And so that, that you can lose your salvation. There is no security of the believer. And so a sinning believer is, again, as he says, on the same ground as an unconverted um, sinner. And so so all that put together he, his view of revival was it again it was this kind of formulaic approach it was he he compared it to uh being a farmer that you just follow the right steps and 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 yes with some help from God you need the sun you need the rain but if you do these things a plus b plus c then you you get you get this work of God and so it could be uh, so he, he wrote books, and this is this is how you do revival. This is how you how you create this stirring of of God. So it wasn't that God was totally removed from the picture, but it, it was a real strong emphasis on what we do to kind of gin that up. And so that's that revivalism. Uh, I'm not saying that every you know modern revival that that's you know they're, that they're trying to duplicate this, but I think there are there are roots. And kind of that contemporary revival movement that go back into Finney, he had a huge impact on the church in America, um, and still does, I would say. And then, and then the fourth, and this would be, I think we're getting closer to what I would see as a more biblical view, is that view of Jonathan Edwards. I'm not saying he was right in everything, but I, as he thought about this, it's it's revival is this this wave of of God's visitation that advances God's cause, and and so if you think of uh, a tsunami. And we've had, obviously, graphic pictures burned in our minds of some catastrophic tsunamis in in, in the last uh, decade or two with, with all the cell phone video now that we have. It's not that we didn't have tsunamis before, but it's that we have this footage and it's just, it's just staggering. But But with the tsunamis, you have these series of large waves that that move toward the shore and then build, 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 and then just crash on the shore. And they push inland quickly, and they and they and they flood the land, and they bring vast transformation. And in their case, catastrophe in a very short period of time. And then those waves retreat, and then another wave comes in. Well, if you, yeah, that's it's not the greatest illustration, obviously, because we're talking about something that's catastrophic and and destructive. We're we're talking about something with revivals that's restorative. But if you think over the history of the church, there have been these seasons when these waves of kind of... When God's visited His people in these unique seasons and special ways and, and seasons of where mercy's just been poured out. And, and there's this quick uh, transformation that happens. And then there's kind of this period of retreat and things go on. this more normal and then another wave. I mean, if you look over again the whole scope um, of, of church history... A quote from Jonathan Edwards kind of giving you this sense of this. Though though there be a more constant influence of the Spirit attending His ordinances, that, that normal kind of means in which ways in which God works in the ordinary course of life and... and Scripture and preaching and church, church and the gathering and, and, the, and the Lord's table, all those things, those ordinary means. Yet the way in which the greatest things have been done has been by remarkable effusions, special seasons of mercy. Now, again, we may debate whether that's perfectly the case, but we can certainly look back historically like the Protestant Reformation and see, man, there was a lot of change that happened. And we can give thanks to God. There, are, there have been those seasons in throughout the history of the church, when when just rapid change has taken place. And that's what we're talking about. So if we were to give a definition, I'm borrowing this from J.I. Packer, really adapting it. This isn't exactly how he says it, but it's that sovereign work of God's spirit by which he advances his cause through the rapid restoration of the church. So that sovereign work of God's spirit by which he advances his cause in the world uh, through the rapid restoration of the church, and we'll kind of see how that shows up even in Psalm 85 in a moment. So, so this, this word revival, though, and so there, are, there are there are other places, and it shows up in different parts of Scripture, and it's not always translated as revival. it it, it could be translated other ways, but Psalm 119. I know the ladies have been studying Psalm 119 on Tuesday mornings uh, this spring, and there are there are that's a great place to look. You have the psalmist. Who you see this progression of the psalmist through Psalm one nineteen and and he just kind of starts high and he goes into the depths. And we don't even know exactly what the psalmist was walking through, but the very some kind of intense suffering. And, but one of the themes and threads that runs throughout Psalm one nineteen is is this prayer that God would revive the psalmist's heart. And um, and again here it's it's the revival of the psalmist's soul. This isn't uh, a reformation, a revival like we're going to be talking about tonight in terms of God's people and this large movement of many people. The psalmist is just praying God in, in my own life. And so this may be more of a spiritual renewal, just sustain me, keep me alive. Sometimes that you get the feeling. It's really just keep me alive, God, because he's going through something really intense. Um, but again, this is the word that is often translated r- revive. I'm quoting I'm going to quote some of these verses from Psalm 119. i I'm going to quote from the New English Translation. This is how they quote this word, and we'll talk about it in a minute this word "revive." But they, again, I realize other translations translate it differently. But a New English Translation. This was a translation sometimes called the NET Bible. Uh, my Hebrew professor, Dr. Crisanti, did a lot of work on this translation even while I was in seminary. And so it's a, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a um, more accurate version. Uh, that's comparable to the NIV in terms of readability. It's a very modern uh, uh, translation uh, but but very accurate to the the original language. So Psalm 119, verse 25. uh, I collapse in the dirt. Revive me with your word. Verse 37. Turn my eyes away from what is worthless. Revive me with your word. Verse 40. Look, I long for your precepts. Revive me with your deliverance. Verse 88. Revive me with your loyal love. That, that hesed uh, that we know about. That loyal love. That I may keep the rules you have revealed. Verse 149. Listen to me because of your loyal love. O oh Lord, revive me as you typically do. So revive. It's a, the Hebrew word is hayah. Sounds like a karate uh, chop or something like that, but but the raw meaning it's just to live, it's to exist, and and again in, in in the context it often means to recover life, to to be made well and alive again, to animate, to quicken, to rebuild. That's ways in which this word is used in the Old Testament, and so Psalm eighty five we find this word, and and again I'm calling it this Reformation revival song. Psalm eighty five, turn there with me and we're we're just going to look kind of read through it quickly and and just kind of put it in large headings and then we'll come back and talk about uh, how this can help us understand what a uh, the reformation uh through the lens of scripture what the event that took place not so much the theology of the reformation as we've been looking at but what what happens in a time like that or in the great awakening uh how do we how do we explain those things scripture and how does that help us pray for the church in in, in our own day but Psalm 85, to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. You may know some about the, the, the psalm that I always associate with the sons of Korah is the one that precedes. is Psalm 80, 84. It's one of the first psalms I ever, I ever preached through. Uh, but it's also a psalm of the sons of Korah. The, 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 the Korah Heights, or the sons of Korah, they were the gatekeepers of the temple. Uh, sort of like the custodians of the temple, they kept the grounds of the of the temple and and so again, like psalm eighty four you get this how how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. So it's just longing for the temple of God to be near the Lord, and and he even goes on. Even the sparrow finds a home, the swallow a nest for herself. And so he's saying, you know, the the birds of the air, they they are not limited like I am because the 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 the, the tabernacle was was open, the, and so there was no there was no roof on parts of it, and so the the birds could get in and go as, at will. But the psalmists or the, is they the sons of Korah, they're kept kind of on the outer. Edges and so the envious of these birds to to give access to the holy of holies, and so uh, so this is this is the sons of Korah, and so but they begin verse 1 to 3. We see these, they're recalling the past blessings of God, the way in which God's faithfulness that has said loyal love has been demonstrated by the Lord, all that God has done. So verse 1, Lord you were favorable to your land, you restored the fortunes of Jacob, you forgave the iniquity of your people, you covered all their sin, selah, you withdrew all your wrath, you turned from your hot anger. And so you notice all these past tense verbs there, you you were favorable, you restored, you forgave, you covered, you withdrew, you turned, and so God's favor in the past was very clear. Psalm and the psalmists here, they're they're making note of that. He was faithful to his promise to bless uh, covenant fidelity and obedience. And so, if if God's people would be faithful to Him, if and they would obey Him, and and they would stay faithful to the covenant, God would bless them. But God's people are fickle, and Israel wandered in disobedience and 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 to the commands of God, uh, and so. You get to verse 4 and 5, and so we see the present troubles that they're in. So we're looking at God's past faithfulness, past blessings. Now verses 4 and 5, these present troubles that the psalmist sees as the nation is in. Restore us again, again, O God of salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? And so God's people, they're headed in the wrong way. They're going farther from God, and there's this prayer. They need to be restored. They need to be turned back to the way things were, turned around. God is indignant. He's angry. And there are no signs that His anger will cease anytime soon. And so what what hope do they have in this condition? And this is where we... So past blessings, this present trouble, and this future hope that the psalmist points us to. Verse 6. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation, your deliverance. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. And righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. And so what he's saying is, don't, Lord, don't let our future be like our present. Restore us, God. Revive us hoping for righteousness and truth and peace and mercy and joy to abound again. This is the, the hope of the psalmist. And the crux of it all is in verse 6. That what What's going to make the difference between their present sorrows and the present troubles and the, this hope of future blessing is, verse 6, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And so let's just walk real, really quickly through kind of understanding again, biblically, what, what we're talking about. We talk about revival. The first thing that we see in this psalm, I think we can draw from this, is just the essence of revival or reformation. What are we, what are we really getting at? And, and we, we've talked about the meaning of the word, to make alive again, to, to, to restore, and that's it. The, the, to revive is to restore life to someone whose vital signs are incredibly weak. And and unstable and I would say almost imperceptible. You're alive, but you're just barely hanging on. And so it's to, it's to bring back, um, bring back to life. You know, there's, a, there's all kinds of television shows right now that are these makeover shows, and they make everything over. I mean, bodies, appearance, to homes and boats and RVs and motorcycles and everything in the world is is being made over on uh, on these these television shows. And, and so, so our culture is, there's this infatuation with rebuilding and remodeling and, 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 and refacing. It. We, we get tired of our outdated cars and homes and clothes and everything quickly. And so, but, but this word revive, it's not speaking about that. Don't get that picture. It's not speaking about upgrading and, and that kind of thing. A facelift. It's, it's talking about restoration. It's restoring our lives to the way that they were designed. And and so last week in Dr. Dowell, his message on is the Reformation over? One of his early points in the introduction was just, what is the Reformation? It was the, this was a quote from that lesson. A recovery of the gospel, a spiritual rebirth, recovery of Christianity depicted in the New Testament. And that's, that's a good explanation of, of what we're talking about here. It's not... It's not a new phase of Christianity, a souped-up version of Christianity. It's it's restored Christianity. It's it's going back. It's 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 like uh, Carson and I went to uh, the Atlanta International Auto Show. Is it was in town this weekend and see all the new cars and the concept cars and and all of that stuff. I I haven't been to an auto show like that since I was a little kid. I thought that'd be something fun to do. Together, so we went up there, and so they had all of that. They had, you know, the newly, you know, completely redesigned, uh, whatever Ford, whatever. And so this, this, this thing, and so, uh, and so it was, it was kind of neat to see the new designs, and he got to, you know, sit in the things, and we're you know, checking all that out. But then they also had classic cars. They had a section with these, these restored uh, classics. And so if, if we're talking about revival, that's. That's more what we're talking about, these, these beautiful restorations. This is, this is back to the way it was. We're not talking about complete new redesign, if that makes sense. And so, um, so again, it's not souped-up Christianity. It's not us doing things we were never doing before or able to do before. When you're revived, you're, you're sovereignly restored by God to that design and that blueprint that was laid out for us in Scripture. We're going back to, to this. And so that's, that's what revival does for us. And just the essence of it in terms of the meaning of, of, of this word. Secondly, we get to see some of the backdrop of revival, of reformation. And historically, and certainly in Psalm 85, the term revival implies that you're in this kind of half dead state. Your vital signs are very weak, spiritual unconsciousness, as it were. We, you need CPR. That's the that's implied by revival. What causes us to fall into this kind of half dead state? It's it's the it's that great enemy of life, sin. That there's there's sin. There's that. Yes, we have a new nature as, as as believers, but we still struggle in the flesh with sin, and it can just kind of s- just squash that vitality in in our lives individually and corporately, and we can be encumbered by that sin and. And so we're in just this weakened state, this sickly state. There's no hope of revival until we regain kind of a sense of God's stance on sin, how much He hates sin and what He has done to to deal with sin. So so again, in Psalm 85, God's angry with Israel over her sin. God's using these temporal judgments to call His people back to Himself. And so God... God may let us, even today, feel the effects of our sin, even our corporate sin, to prepare us for His reviving work. That's His mercy. To let us see sin as awful as it is and as destructive as it is. So that's that's kind of the, the backdrops. Third, we see the subjects of revival and reformation. The subjects of revival. Again, over and over in this psalm, Psalm 85, your people, your people... Your saints, it's, it's God's people, God, God's people are the recipients and, of, and the participates, participants in this quickening work of God, this wave of God's visitation. And so it's not, revival is not something for a secular nation per se. It's not, we're not praying for the revival of America or, or, or something like that. We're, we're, we're praying for the revival of the church in America or in any place, any nation. And so that's what we pray for. To be revived has a prerequisite that there's spiritual life there to begin with. So it's a revival of God's people, your people, your people, your saints. Uh, That's who we're praying for. Um, There's a difference between evangelism and revival. And we'll talk more about this in a moment. But if, if the church in America or in any part of the world was truly revived, if we really saw this movement of God God's spirit in our land, believe me, the whole nation would be effective. And there, would be, there would be widespread conversion and evangelism would take place like we haven't seen in our lifetimes. Um, but those are the effects of revival, not the essence of revival. And we'll, I'll show that connection in a moment. Fourth, we see the corporate nature, the corporate character of reformation and revival in the psalm. It's this, the, the pronoun is this first person plural. It's us. Revive us, O oh Lord. Not just revive me, but revive us together. Biblical revival is a revival of the community of God's people. It's not just individuals in isolation sitting in a room, God change me. I mean, that is good and that is important. And we, we, we to have that kind of spiritual renewal, we might call that, Individually, that's, that's great, and that's something we, we want to see. We want God to change. We're talking about this morning, being, abiding in the vine. Lord, help me to, to, to remain in you, to have this fellowship with you, and to, to, to grow in dependence upon you. That's good. You can't, uh, you, you, but you can have personal renewal without this corporate revival, this, this widespread visitation of God that we're talking about. Um, revival is a group movement. Uh, again, it, you can have that, that renewal, but when it, when it happens to many people at the same time, that's revival. And so you might have a season of real refreshing and, and, and drawing near to God and this rapid change and sanctification in your life, and that's wonderful. We probably experientially, we can look back over our lives and see there are those seasons when God did a lot of work in our lives individually, and that's great. But again, when God does that with a lot of people, at the same time in the same area then that's that's what we're talking about when we say revival. And the Protestant Reformation, we see that. It's not we 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 have get great heroes of the Reformation and and you see the Reformation wall there in Geneva, And so you see these great reformers and these these um, reliefs of these of these great reformers. And so we think of Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. But it wasn't just those men alone. It was it was this movement of God, many people uh, changed and the church is just transformed and new converts and all this all this happening it's it's a lot of a lot of people it's us so it's corporate fifth uh, we see the driving force of revival and reformation again you see these second person pronouns referring to god you yourself your you over and over in this psalm referring to the lord himself God is the agent. God's the source. God's the cause and the power of revival. It's a sovereign work of God uh, that, that, and, and not something that we engineer up like Charles Finney talked about where we're working it up by our own obedience. This is something that's not, not worked up from earth. It's sent down from heaven. And so it's, it, the, the, the direction is from God. It's His Spirit Working. That doesn't mean we just sit idly by and just kind of wait and hope God does something. No, we are, we are obedient to the Lord and we dependent upon God's moving and praying for him to work and even in these ways. And, and faithful, uh, if we never see uh, a visitation of God like this in our own lifetime, we want to be faithful to the Lord. And, and seeking him and, and seeking renewal and for ourselves and our church. But, um, but again, it, a revival is it, it's what God it's God's doing. Um, six, two more. The primary outcome of revival and reformation. Primary outcome of revival and reformation. It's not. It's not first. Again, we'll see this. It's not first that. Thousands are are converted. It's not first that you know all the bars close down and corruption in government ceases and, and all the adult websites just go dark because there's no traffic anymore. That's not the first result. The first result, the primary effect, is that God's people love God again. And so this is this is what Psalm says: Revive us, O Lord, that your people may rejoice in you. That's where it begins. That's the primary outcome, and it's it's, it's God's restoration of this vitality and life again in the vine, we could say, even. And so, this abundant, unnatural joy is the immediate result of God's quickening work. And and again, we see this in examples as you read Luther's story, and and I know his conversion. You know, it's not always easy to point exactly to the moment, but. But you see this change in Luther's life, and among those reformers and and those in, in the churches, this joy and singing and celebration, and so sort of writing hymns and singing joyously to the Lord. And people are, you know, accusing them of kind of debauchery, just in the way that they're singing expressiveness to God and joy in the Lord and love for God. They're talking about God in ways that hadn't been talked about in that those dark ages of Roman Catholicism, and so. Uh, again, so we, we see this expressive joy in God. This is the, one of the primary outcomes of this. As God comes near, his presence is sensed like never before. And therefore sin, sin is seen and dealt with like it hasn't been for some time. And so what happens? The gospel shines even brighter and is is cherished more. And we love the fact of that our standing before Christ is of his merits, and the church then becomes what she 's supposed to be, of course there's going to be joy in god and 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 so uh, this is this is one of the primary outcomes and that joy though is not just contained within the church it's it does spill out and there is this that 's the last thing is this overflow of reformation and revival it 's not just contained within the, the walls or the confines of a church. It, it does spill out into the world, into the culture. And this is why in these great movements of God, the, the whole culture has changed and, and, and in, in great ways. So in, in Psalm 85, the psalmist uh, prays, verse 9, that God's glory would dwell on the land. And I know that's sort of a veiled reference. And you could go to other psalms, Psalm 67, uh, 1 and 2 we often talk about this psalm at times of our missions conference, but may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So we're saying, God do this to us so that you would be known in all the earth. And that's that's kind of we that's the that's the relationship between revival and this spiritual awakening and evangelism and all these new converts. It's God, God change us, revive us, cause us to rejoice in you again like never before. And as that happens, God, we want your way to be known among the earth. And there's going to be this overflow, the inevitable result of God's people being enlivened again in this way by his spirit is that evangelism and missions become central thrust in the church again. And so that's that quickening work. And we see this, Throughout church history, we see it in the Protestant Reformation and through other uh, awakenings throughout church history, is, as, as, as these revivals happen, there are hordes of missionaries that are sent out after periods of revival. And you read missionary bi- biographies and you read these stories, and many, many times it's, that, it's out of those seasons of, of God's, God's moving. And, and so, if, again, if, if revival of the church is this, is this concentrated, expedited, period of sanctification, this rapid sanctification in God's people, The part of that rapid maturing process is going to be this radical obedience to the Great Commission. So we're, this is going to be, this is part of that restorative work. We're going back and being restored to the, where the Great Commission just grips us. We're gripped by that mandate. And so it's going to have an impact. There's going to be boldness to preach the gospel to the lost like we have not known and again, then the shock waves just travel through all the nooks and crannies of the world, so we read accounts of again of bars closing down and and the great awakening and and there just weren 't enough customers because there's uh, there's just a change there's this shock waves at sin again, think of that tsunami and all the impact of this wave of God visiting his people and the impact that that has and 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 so that you certainly see that, and you have more Christians and less pagans, so you you got all these reasons. In which the world is affected, but that's the overflow of it, so do we need revival do we do we need this kind of visitation of God, or are we okay um, I, I I yes and no I mean uh, my our, our we don't stake our our hope upon uh, the special movement of God and revival. we want to be faithful to to the Lord uh, whatever season he places us and and we have, we have those that have, uh, have lived their whole lives and never seen a work of God like this, and it's not like they're some second-class Christian or something like that, but we should pray for it. Um, this is, there, is, there are things that we've seen uh, that God has moved in, just in dramatic ways in times of, of history and accomplished much in you know, those seasons, so we long for it. We, we long for that effect, again, broadly, as this overflow in our nation um, I mean, we we see people care far more about fuel prices and mortgage rates than they do about God, and they care about trending videos on social media more than they do about God, and that's just telling. That ought to ought to trouble our hearts. But but we can go smaller, and, and we need revival in the church. I mean, the broadest in the body of Christ, the sins of the world they they've the, they've become the sins of the church, and and then we. Focus even more. We need revival in this church. Um, it's not just the larger church, the nation. It's the local body. There's sin that has just got a grip on lives. Individually, corporately, there, there's mediocrity that, that we know and sense in our own lives and apathy. And, and we can be just consumed by entertainment and uh, materialism and strapped by fear and worry and Living for self and there's just there's there's no end. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but we we need to own the, the condition that we 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 see these. We we know them in our personal lives. We see it in our family. We see it in lives and way that we're affected by sin. And I'm not saying we're unusual in this, but we we say, God revive us, Lord, quicken us, cause us to live again, cause your people to rejoice in you like we haven't before, and. Um, sanctify us, Lord, in a rapid way. Together, we have small thoughts of God. We have small thoughts of who He is and what He does and how He works. We 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 get consumed with our our little lives, our jobs, our family, our schedules, and our things to do. And and we can we can be like those in Haggai's day. You remember they. They're 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 distracted from God and His worship and His work and the temple, and they're consumed with fixing up their houses and dinking around in the garage and keeping up their yards, and they're working hard and they're earning wages and they're doing work and all these things. But Haggai one six and seven, he writes, "You've sown much and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm." And he who earns wages earns wages, does so to put put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of Hosts: Consider your ways. And this, is, I mean, we we need to. We need to, God consider help us to consider our ways. Um, might we have drifted from what God has really called us to do and be? Um, one thing that happens again in, in revivalists is the essence of it: the church becomes herself again, that most basic core. Who the church is is restored in times of revival, and we we need that the people of God who know their Lord, He's with them through the Holy Spirit. It's not a weekly meeting; it's a living body that we, we become that again, and we know that dependent upon our head and and the other members for living. So, what do we do? We we pray. <laughs> that's that's the first thing, and that's what the psalmist is giving us an example. You turn to God. Um, we see these past blessings. We see present troubles. We say, God, you, you need to revive us. Revive us, Lord, that our people may rejoice in you again. We need a, a, a greater hunger and thirst to know God more. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said it like this, We're like, like children paddling in the sea, and there is this mighty ocean and its depths. What do we know of that? I could characterize us, maybe. How do we pray? Martin, again, Lloyd-Jones says, we pray this way, not being content to go on from week to week and month to month and year to year. Yes, certainly enjoying God's blessings. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not despising the day of small things. I just want us to realize that we are in the day of small things. But there are big things. And I am talking about longing for those bigger things. That's... Good we 're not spies eh thankful for the way that God is working today, but we long for the day of bigger things. God would you visit your people in a, in a, in a renewed way? We see the condition of your church and and um, and we, we, we want you to revive us again more.